Well, I'm excited this morning. I'm really excited this morning. I have, uh, as most of you know, for the past about four months, it's been my privilege to pastor the church alone. And uh, it really has been uh, a remarkable time with the Lord and of serving you. Uh, but you also know that all along, the elders and leaders and others, I hope you've been joining us, have been praying. Lord, just bring somebody along who can help share in the pastoral load of this church and all the opportunities that we have. And I think many of you know that I uh, got a word from the Lord real early in this process that there's water in the rock, right? There's water in the rock. And our understanding of what the Lord was saying was that the Lord was going to raise somebody up from this thing called the rock, that instead of kind of just going out and sort of surveying the world and an interview process and stuff like that, that God was just going to raise somebody up. Well, a little over a month ago, as I was praying about that, uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and said that the vineyard is the rock. And not just our vineyard, but the vineyard, the movement of the vineyard uh, worldwide is the rock. And that the man or woman that God was going to raise up to assume this position would be a person who was raised up from that. And so so I, I, I contacted our elders, and I said, I'm, I'm getting a sense that, that the Lord is saying that the vineyard is the rock. And uh, they prayed, and they concurred. And on that same day, on that very same day, the, uh, the name of Christian Root came to me from four different places. Uh, on the same day that we concurred about that, about that being the word. And uh, so uh, one of the contacts was from Christian himself who understood that we had an opportunity or a, uh, an opening in our staff, and, and uh, we agreed to meet the following Tuesday. And uh, I, uh, I was looking forward to that. I set the, the meeting at 11 o'clock because that way, if I didn't like him, we'd just send him on his way. But if I did like him, we could go to lunch. And uh, that was going to be on Tuesday. And that Sunday before the Tuesday before we ever met, uh, uh, he snuck into one of our services. And I, I, I was just fortunate, I, was, I Googled him to see what this guy looked like, you know, so I had this mental image, I was walking down right about where Michael and Barbara are sitting there, and I said, are you Christian? Which is kind of a presumptuous question to ask somebody you don't know, right? I said, are you Christian? And he says, yes, I am. And so we embraced there, and the moment I struck hands with that brother, the Lord began to speak to me about him. Someday I'll tell you the word that he gave me, but not today. And from that very moment, and so he came on Tuesday, and we went to lunch, all right? And it's just been an ongoing process with the elders and, and such, and, um, and just uh, really uh, remarkably happy to say that I, I just couldn't be more persuaded that this brother is the man of the Lord's choosing for us to join our staff. His name is Christian Root. He, is the, uh, he is a, has been on the staff of Vineyard Columbus for the last seven years. We're grateful to Vineyard Columbus for being the church that it is in our community. And uh, he's been with them for the last seven years, pastoring the, the young adult portion of the church over the last number of those years. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I need to tell you that he, he, got his, he got his undergraduate at a little university in town called The Ohio State University, right? And so he's one of you, right? He's one of you, and I'll figure out how to get along with that. And and uh, he got his MDiv at Ashland Theological Seminary. He also 
is married to a lovely woman named Celeste, and she also received her bachelor's and her master's degree from The Ohio State University. So they, I guess they bleed scarlet and gray, just like y'all do, so there should be no, no issue there. They have a, a young son named Samuel, who's only two and a half, so he hasn't been to Ohio State yet, but kind of see it in his future, perhaps. Would you please welcome to our stage Christian and Celeste and Sam. Come on up. Come on up. <laughs> Hi, Sam. That's all right. I was going to high-five you, but I think I'll pass now, for now, okay. You're a good man, Sam. You're a good man. We like to pray for them. Don, would you come up? Elder Don and Tim Harris, you, you're a prayer warrior. Would you come up here, please, and help us pray for this dear couple here? Uh, we're just going to pray. Father, we just going to be any more grateful, Father, for your plan, your will. We love to stand in the place of your sovereign idea. We love to find our feet in that space that you have created for us to stand, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And I thank you for Christian. I thank you for Celeste and Samuel. And right now, right here, we pray that you will anoint them in this place. You will anoint them for, for the ministry that you have planned for them. Lord, I just want to say again that I love it that before we knew one another's names, you were preparing this man for us and you were preparing us for this man. And so we receive them with gratitude and pray for the full anointing of the Holy Spirit on them as they live here among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I can think of no better way for Christian to start than to preach, right? <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. It is, it is such, a, such a privilege, such a blessing to, to be here. And I, I just want to say here on the, the front end, I, I am so grateful that, that the Lord has brought our, our family to join this church, to join in, in lockstep with, with all of you. I, I'm so looking forward in the, the coming days and and in weeks to, to get to meet each one of you and, and to get to to grow in our friendships with one another, to get to grow in our, our service to the Lord with with one another and to get to see what the Lord is going to do uh, here in this place among us. And so I, I'm just, you know, I was telling Tom uh, all this week, I'm just still kind of shocked, still pretty overwhelmed um, at, at how the Lord brought all of this together. And so I'm really excited and and, and ready to ready to dig in. And I, I'm really excited, really thankful I get to share the word today. And so if you have a Bible, we're, we're going to be jumping into Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And so you can, you can turn there with me. Luke chapter 3 verse 21 is where we're going to be jumping off. And, and as you turn there in your Bibles, I'm, I'm going to pray. And so why don't, why don't you pray with me, church? Holy Spirit, I, I just... I just affirm my need for you. you. You are so aware of my need for you. Would you help me now, Jesus? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you empower me with your presence, God? Would you help me to give a word today that, that honors you, that honors your word, that is truthful to your word, God, and that glorifies you? 
and increases our affections and our desire to serve you, to please you, to worship you. Please, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit now and come and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, this is what we read. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Moving down to Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we continue to read, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I I want to spend our our time together this morning talking about the wilderness. The wilderness. The wilderness, or, or the desert, as some of your translations might put it, is mentioned over 300 times in the Old Testament and over 50 times in the New. And, and the wilderness is, is referred to throughout the Bible as a place of, of desolation, of loneliness, of fruitlessness, and barrenness. And, and throughout Scripture, we see men and women of God driven to the wilderness driven to the desert to experience times of trial, of confusion, of isolation from from God, and and of suffering. And and perhaps, perhaps that's where you're at this morning. You've been marching through a land that feels desolate, that feels barren, that feels fruitless and lonely. Perhaps you feel disconnected from God or your your finances, your health, your relationships have just run off the rails. The wilderness, of of course, is more than just a physical place. Sometimes the wilderness is brought to us. I want to begin today by dropping that paper and then discussing the, the inevitability of the wilderness. That's my first point. Thank you, brother. First point today, the inevitability of the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it's important that we note that. And, and as a church that desires to pursue all that the Holy Spirit has for us, we need to understand this. The spirit-filled Christian will always be led into the wilderness at some point on their journey. As charismatic or as empowered evangelicals, as we like to say in the Vineyard Movement, we love to seek and we love to talk about mountaintop experiences, don't we? And, and well, we should. 
Well, we should. You know, my desire for, for you is that, that this would be a place in, where we're, in which we're, we're just continually receiving from the Spirit, in which we're, we're being revived and renewed and refreshed through the Spirit's presence. As someone who's been entrusted with, with helping to pastor this community, I, I, I want that for you. I desperately want that for you, and I certainly want that for myself. I want to be someone who, by God's grace, is just continually and perpetually pressing in and seeking the Lord for more, for more of his empowerment, for more of his love, for more of his spirit, that, that I might achieve the purposes he has for my life. But we must also understand that to be led by the Spirit means that we'll not only be led to the top of the mountain, but at times we'll be led to the wilderness as well. And we see this throughout Scripture, don't, don't we? Moses, before he was to lead the people of God out of Egypt, he was forced to flee to the wilderness where he lived for 40 years. People of God, before they entered the promised land, spent 40 years wandering in the deserts. King David, even after being anointed king by Samuel, was forced to flee into the desert as he was pursued by King Saul. Elijah was forced to flee to the wilderness after he was threatened by Jezebel. John the Baptist was prepared for his prophetic ministry in the wilderness. The Apostle Paul, after meeting Jesus, went into the wilderness, into the desert of Arabia for at least three years. And and we could just keep going and going, and we just don't have that kind of time. And not only do we see this wilderness journey play out throughout scripture, but we see this throughout church history as well. That you simply cannot read a biography of any man or any woman who has made a significant dent for the kingdom of God and not find an accompanying wilderness journey as part of their story. One of my heroes is a, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He was a 19th century British preacher, perhaps one of the greatest preachers of all time. He only lived to be 52, and and out of those 52 years, 15 of them he was spent seriously ill. 15 of them he he had to struggle with medical issues, and, and he also, for the majority of his adult life, struggled with depression. Many others of you have, have probably heard of, of John Wesley, the founder of the, the Methodist movement. And before he came to fame in England, he was actually a, a missionary to America. Came back from his time in America, dispirited, disillusioned, disappointed. His reputation was in, in shambles. He was a, was a failure of a missionary. It's a, it's a fascinating story. But as, as he came back from America, he said, I went to America to convert the Native American, but oh, who will convert me? Before he was raised up to help usher in revival in England, John Wesley, he was taken to the wilderness. John Bunyan is a famous Puritan. He spent 14 years in prison for his nonconformist Christian beliefs. And it was while he was in prison that he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress, a book which has been printed more times than any other book in the history of the world outside of the Bible. It's in the wilderness that he wrote this magnificent book. And so if we desire to be spirit-filled people, we, we must understand, we have to get this, that at times the spirit will lead us into the wilderness. 
And it is while we are stricken in the wilderness that we're tempted to ask, why would a loving God allow his children to suffer so much? Why does the Christian life involve so much pain and so much struggle and so much unanswered prayer? I don't know if you've ever asked this question, those questions, but I, I certainly have. Why does it just feel like sometimes this, this walk with Jesus is just such a fight? And these questions, they, they bring us to our second point, and that is the purposes of the wilderness purposes of the wilderness. Let me, let me just simply state two reasons why at times our Father will lead us into the wilderness. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but let me, let me just simply offer two reasons why we're led to the wilderness. Number one, we're led into the wilderness in order to increase our dependence upon God. When Jesus' disciples asked him how they should pray, he told them this parable in Luke chapter 11. This is one of my favorite parables in, in all of Scripture. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet, and and here's where I want us to really hone in and pay attention, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I I love that phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases in all all of Scripture. Because of your shameless audacity. Jesus says to his disciples, you know what it looks like to pray? You know how you should pray? You know the posture that your heart should take when you pray? You should be absolutely shameless in bringing your requests before the Father. Like a man who goes to his neighbor's house at night and just keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking until eventually his neighbor sleepily just staggers out of bed and comes to the door. That's the posture that you should take in prayer. When I think of asking shamelessly. I think of my, my son, Samuel, who you, you just met. You know, my, my son, Sam, begins asking me for a popsicle at about 5 a.m. each day. I, I mean, usually it's like 5, and he's like, Dad, can I have a popsicle? I mean, this kid is just absolutely shameless. Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And Jesus says, this is, this is what you're your life should look like. This is the posture that we're called to take. This is what dependence on me feels and smells like. And friends, the the place that we learn to pray shamelessly is in the desert. We learn to pray without reserve when we're in over our heads and we're burnt out and we're disillusioned and we've experienced more loss than than we could have ever anticipated. It's in this place, it's in the desert that we learn to truly rely on God. It is in this place that we learn how to wrestle with God, like Jacob saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Listen, if, if you find someone who, who knows how to pray shamelessly, 
If you ever encounter someone who knows how to pray with perseverance, who knows how to, to bring their requests before the Father over and over and over again, you'll find someone whose dependence was shaped in the wilderness. Guaranteed, every time. You'll find someone who learned how to pray that way because at one point in their life, or probably multiple points, they were driven to the desert. You know, often in, in charismatic or empowered evangelical circles, we, we, we stress the need to be filled with the Spirit as a, a means of preparation for our calling. And, and again, well, we should. We, we see that in Jesus' life, that in Luke chapter 3, before he's sent out on his, his ministry journey, he's, he's filled with the Spirit. But, but we also see that before Jesus was to start his ministry, he was led into the wilderness for a time of preparation. Simon Ponsonby, who's just a, a terrific pastor from England, says this, For the spirit-filled life to be of benefit to others, it must be tested, tempered, and tried in the wilderness. If, if the spirit-filled life is going to be of real benefit, not, not just to you, but to others, it's got to be tested and tempered and tried in the wilderness. Certainly, this is, is proved true in, in my own life. I, uh, I, I didn't grow up in the church or didn't grow up a follower of Jesus, and I, I came to know Jesus when I was a sophomore at the Ohio State University. Wow. Go Bucks. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I went to Ohio State because I wanted football tickets, and I met Jesus there. And so that, <laughs> call that a win-win, is, is what I call that. And, and, and I, I'll, I'll never forget it, you know, way back when I was 20, some decades ago, you know, back in, back in 2006, I, I, uh, I stumbled into this, this church service on a, a Friday night, and, and I'll never forget that the pastor came forward and just very casually said, we're now going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I, again, having no church background, I had no idea what that meant, and, but I was too far away from the exit to make a, a run for it, so I was just kind of stuck. And, and I'll, you know, again, I'll never forget, he, he just simply said, you know, very, very casually, I feel like the Spirit of the Lord is just moving on the side of the room. And the next thing I knew, I was just on the ground, bawling my eyes out. And, you know, not, not nice, polite tears, but, but ugly, snot everywhere, hot mess, get that guy a Kleenex kind of tears. Which at, at 20 years old, when you want to be tough and you have a Napoleon complex, is like really hard when you're crying in public. And I was weeping on the ground for 30, for 45 minutes just because I was, I was overwhelmed by, by, by the Lord's presence, by the love of the Father. Just overwhelmed by his kindness towards me because I, I, was, I was making all kinds of stupid decisions at that point in my life. And, you know, that, that night, that encounter with the Holy Spirit, it, it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And, and so... 
Within a few months, I was leading a Bible study on OSU's campus, and within the first year, I began interning at, at uh, the church I, I was a part of. I was working there 20 hours a week. I began leading our intercessory prayer team. I began leading our outreach efforts at Ohio State. I still was leading the Bible study. I was leading our, our welcome dinner for newcomers. I was leading the hospitality team. I was helping out with Alpha. I, I was trying to get my, my hands on anything I could within the church to serve. I, I, I was just just totally, totally wrecked by, by the love of the Father. And, and as I look back at that time, I, 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 I'm just so thankful for the sweetness of that season. You know, some of the seasons the Lord takes us through are just so sweet and, and just, just so full of grace. But then, two years into my walk with Jesus, right near the end of, of my, my time at Ohio State, everything fell apart. I, unsurprisingly, began to, to get pretty worn down in ministry. And so because I was beginning to experience burnout, because I was tired, I began to say no to opportunities. And, and the more I said no to opportunities that came my way, the more I began to, to be racked with guilt. And, and it, was, it was not too long before before I, I actually began to experience pretty severe social anxiety because I, I, I equated people with feelings of guilt. So I isolated myself from my roommates. I isolated myself from my friends. I isolated myself from the church. I just tried to, to stay away from people as, as much as I could. I, I even remember... <laughs> I remember I was just so desperate to, to get away from my roommate, so desperate to not be around anyone I knew, that I remember packing my food for the day, doing this more than once, packing my food for the day and holing up in a Tim Hortons in Worthington on High Street, just, just hoping, just praying that I, I would av av avoid anyone I knew that day. It's an absolute mess at 22. It's anxious, fearful, I felt. I felt isolated from God. I certainly felt isolated from people. And it was at this time I began meeting with a Christian counselor. I began meeting with a spiritual director within the Vineyard Movement to try to, 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 try to make sense of what was going on in my life. And she was this sweet older woman that I, I met with. I was going to say she was in her 50s, but... but I don't think we have quite that relationship yet for me to make those kind of jokes. And, and the reality is that she was, she was in her 80s. Uh, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there over time. But I remember meeting with this sweet old, older woman, and, and we would meet in, the, in her basement. And I remember whenever we would meet, she would just always have a, a box of Kleenex there waiting for me because she understood that invariably... Chances of, of showers with this guy were 100%. That, that I was going to invariably start bawling at some point within the conversation. I, I was just a mess. It was a mess. I, I wasn't fit to lead in, in any capacity. And so gradually I, I had to, to step down from all of my leadership positions within the church. And, and ironically, it was that fall I, I began attending seminary. And I, I just, I remember sitting in a, a seminary class one day that fall and thinking, God, this just feels 
ridiculous. You know, here I am, I'm paying thousands of dollars to be in grad school right now because I, I believe that there's a calling on my life to pastor, and yet I'm not fit to lead a, a small Bible study. I, I don't even think I'm fit to, to fold the, the inserts for the church bulletin at this point. I mean, I, I'm just a wreck. It's incredibly disorienting. It's incredibly confusing. I'd had these two years of, of just joy-filled, fruit-filled ministry. And then here I am, I'm 23 years old now, I'm I'm in seminary, and and I can't even be around my roommates without freaking out. God took me and and he he placed me in the wilderness. And, And it was in that season that the Lord began to reveal the pride and the ambition and the desire to please others that had just gripped my heart. And and I remember the Lord speaking to me so clearly and saying to me, Christian, there's no way that you can have a healthy and a fulfilling pastoral ministry as long as these broken desires remain in your heart. There's just no way it, it could happen. And so he said to me, I'm breaking you down in order to help you lead for the long haul. And so as I look back at that time, you know, now a decade later, I'm just, I'm I'm so thankful that that the Lord took me through that wilderness journey. Wasn't the only time he's taken me to the wilderness in the last decade, and certainly won't be the last. But but I know that the only reason that I'm here today, the only reason I'm leading is because the Lord in his mercy decided a decade ago to, to take me to the wilderness and straighten me out a bit. I I know now that what the Lord was doing at that time was preparing me for what he had ahead. Samuel Rutherford is another Puritan who was jailed multiple times for his faith. He said this, he said, Oh, what I owe to the file and the hammer and the furnace of my Lord Jesus. You know, you have to have a pretty intimate relationship with Jesus. A, a, a real depth has to be there for you to be able to say, Oh, what I owe to the file and the hammer and the furnace of my Lord Jesus. And so listen, if you're experiencing a time of loss, of suffering, of isolation from God right now, you're not in the wilderness because God has forsaken you, or even more importantly, you're not there because God is too impotent to help you. Perhaps you've been sent to the desert in order to be prepared for what's next. Ponsonby again says, it is in the desert that God takes us and he breaks us and he makes us fit for his purposes. Friend, perhaps you're not in the fire today because you're under the judgment of God, but perhaps you're in the fire because you're being forged into something new. And this is true, by the way, if you're 22, and this is true if you're 62. You know, perhaps the Lord simply doesn't want your 20s to look exactly like your teenage years. Or perhaps the Lord doesn't want your 60s to play out in the same way that your 50s just did. Perhaps the Lord is doing something new in you and the best really is yet to come. Amen. We've talked about the inevitability of the wilderness. 
talked about the purposes of the wilderness. And finally, I just want to close briefly by talking about persevering in the wilderness. It's my last point. Persevering in the wilderness. How do we persevere when we've been led down a path of suffering and loss and disappointment? Well, quite simply, we, we persevere through the wilderness by relying on the scriptures as, as Jesus did when tempted by the enemy. I don't know if you caught this, but each time Jesus was tempted, he responded with, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so the way that we maintain our footing in the wilderness is by putting our nose in the Bible each day and allowing the Bible to shape us and mold us, allowing the Bible to shape the way that we see ourselves and allowing the Bible to shape the way that we see the world. Because, friends, if, if you're not getting your narrative about what's going on in your life from the Bible, then this culture, our world, has, has plenty of alternative narratives to give you for why you're, you're struggling, for what's wrong with you, for what's wrong with the people around you, right? I mean, you can go to your Facebook timeline and you can get all kinds of narratives about this world and about your situation, you know. And, and spoiler alert, th those alternative narratives aren't very helpful, right? And what does, what does the Bible have to say for those of us who are currently walking through the desert? Well, for the sake of time, here, let me just give you one truth among many. The Bible shows us that we're not alone in the wilderness. We're not alone in the wilderness, and we're not alone because Jesus has gone there ahead of us. All four gospel writers indicate that Jesus was crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem, that he died, in other words, in the wilderness. And so just a few short years after this initial desert experience that we're reading about in Luke 4, Jesus was led again into the wilderness, this time to be mocked, to be stripped naked, to be nailed to a cross, and left to die. And on that cross, the wrath of God's judgment was poured out on Jesus so that he received the punishment that you and I justly deserve. And so that those of us who profess faith in Jesus might be cleaned and forgiven and made new. And so, friend, you're not alone in the wilderness because Jesus has already gone there ahead of you to suffer and to die in your place. Do you know that today? You're not alone in the wilderness because Jesus has already gone there ahead of you. And so listen, and I'm going to close here. Do you, do you know what it means to be a Christian? Do you, do you know what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian is to be someone who says, because you went into the wilderness for me, Jesus, dying on the cross, I will follow you into the wilderness as you lead. Because you were beaten for me, Jesus, I will follow you even when this life beats me down. Because you were crushed for me, Jesus, I will follow you even when life's disappointments feel crushing. Because you were abandoned for me, I will follow you, Jesus, even when I feel abandoned and all alone. Because you were stripped naked for me, Jesus, I will follow you even when the wilderness strips me of all comforts. And because, Jesus, you lost everything for me, I will lose everything 
for you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Friend, if, if you are in the wilderness right now, the way to persevere is by turning your gaze upon Jesus in Scripture, the King who went into the wilderness for your sake. Well, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up. I figured I'd start with just a nice, light, fluffy topic for my first sermon. On stuff. Well, here, here's what I want to do. I, I want to give us a chance to respond. You know, because for some of us here today, this isn't just mere theory, right? Some of us today are walking through these desolate and lonely places that we've been describing. And, and so I, I want to give some of us the chance to respond. I want to give some of us a chance to respond to what the Lord's been speaking to you or what, what's been going on in your life. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite our, our, our prayer team, if you've been trained to pray, if you're a leader here, to, to head to either side of the, the stage. And, and if this is something that is very real to you right now, if you find yourself in the desert, perhaps due to no fault of your own, but simply because you've been led there, you're being prepared for what's next, we want to pray for you. It's your brothers and sisters. We want to pray God's favor on your life, God's protection on your life. We want to pray for encouragement and hope for you in the midst of this wilderness season. You know, when we isolate ourselves, when we, we fail to, to share what's really going on at our heart level, we, we just become pretty easy targets. We, we, we just fall into cynicism and self-pity and, and, and judgment pretty quickly. We need each other when we're walking through the wilderness. We need others around us who have had their own wilderness journeys to come alongside us and pray for God's blessing. You know, I talked earlier about about the need to be shameless. One of the ways that, that we're shameless is just by, by receiving an opportunity like this and saying, you know what, I, I know I could get to Chipotle 10 minutes faster if I left right now, but I, I'm just going to come forward and I'm going to receive prayer. And I'm just going to keep coming forward every Sunday, God, until you move, until you intervene. And, and so if that's where you're at right now, again, perhaps due to no fault of your own, we want to pray for you. So I, I would really encourage you, do not leave without coming forward. And, and then secondly, th there, are of, there are others of us who are currently walking through the wilderness who would say, you know what, God, I, I just, I want to do this really well. I, I want to honor you during this season in the wilderness. And, and so if that's where you're at, I, I'm just going to invite you to come forward and, and to kneel don't have to receive prayer from anyone. It, it's just a, a way of coming before the Lord and saying, God, I, I want to honor you in this time. That, that maybe you look back at the last few weeks or months and, and see ways in which you, you just haven't handled the wilderness journey well. 
that the stress, that the disappointment, that the unanswered prayer, had, it just felt so crippling, so overwhelming that, that it's just manifested unhealthy habits in your life or unhealthy responses from your heart. And so for some of us today, we might, we might simply say, God, I, I want to honor you for as long as you have me here. That yes, I, I continue to pray that you would bring me out of the wilderness. But until that point happens, until that day happens, help me to honor you, help me to walk through the wilderness in a way that honors you, that points to you, that glorifies you. And so if that's where you're at, we just want to invite you to, to come forward and, and to do that before the Lord. And so if you're on our, our prayer team, you can head to the side now. We're, we're going to sing this in this last song. But if you are walking through the wilderness, we, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. I believe that God wants to do something significant today in many hearts. And for the rest of us, let's, let's pray for those who are up here, remembering our own wilderness journeys. And, and let's, let's worship the King who went into the wilderness for us.